You're listening to Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast hosted by Brandon Apter and Jesse Larch, part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com. going on everybody brandon apter here one of your hosts of garbage into gold uh joined by my co-host jesse larch here on uh what is a pretty somber episode as uh just earlier today here on sunday january 26th uh, we all learned about the shocking passing of kobe bryant and uh one of his daughters along with seven other passengers uh in a tragic tragic event uh jesse uh welcome to the show uh how are you doing yeah um i mean it's definitely a shock you know it was one of those things where like for me personally i had a very long weekend and was like targeting that time of the day just getting done work come home catch a nap and refresh myself a little bit and it was just like so stunning that any like tiredness i had went away like, it was one of those, you know, you're always going to remember where you were at when it happened. Yeah. And it totally, like, encapsulated my day, I think everyone I know's day. Like, it's all I've been talking to anyone about since it happened. It's just, like, it's totally, I can't even think of the right word to put around it. Like, I don't want to search for adjectives because I feel like there's not really one to do it justice. Yeah. Um, just... I mean, it do- it doesn't really feel real, uh, you know. Forty one years of age, um, it left such a gigantic impact on the game of basketball, and it just again, like it, it didn't feel real, um, you know. For the for the listeners who don't know, I live down in Atlanta, um, work part time with the Hawks down here, and um, prior to the to the game starting at six Eastern time. Uh, there was a pregame moment of silence for Kobe, and I think that's really when, like it, it all sank in uh, with, with Kobe Chance just seeing his picture up there and uh, seeing Vince Carter, who plays for the Hawks and has been in the league since, you know, the late '90s, crying before and a- after the anthem. It just makes it seem so real and and so raw, and really shows how much of of an effect that he had on the game. I know. You know, throughout the day on Twitter, you saw like Tyson Chandler was was crying on the bench during the uh, Suns game or the Rockets game, and um, you know there was the Spurs and the and the Raptors uh, were the first team to to run the the shot clocks down from twenty four to zero uh, to pay tribute. But um, for for me, I was just walking into work and my mom called me and and was just like, "Hey, have you been?" hearing about this Kobe Bryant thing like I 
I was just like, no, not at all. And and I saw that TMZ reported it and it took a little while for anybody else to, to really say anything. But from there, it really unfolded as to like who was with him. And, and unfortunately we did learn that his 13 year old daughter was, was in the plane with him along with another uh, parent and child headed to a basketball practice. And just, I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't even know. I know you mentioned Jesse that, that it kind of like impacted you in one way, but um, you know, after finding out and kind of having time to process as we kind of record here later Sunday night, like, I know for me, it just feels like, I feel kind of numb. Like I never knew Kobe. I, I saw him on TV and, and when I went to some live games, but it feels like, like a bigger loss than, than just any other person. Yeah. I mean, he was really a monolithic type of person where, you know, you think in the history of the game and the way that basketball really will be remembered is like that, that late nineties, early two thousands Lakers teams are going down in history. His career is going down in history. He really, you know, the way that Jordan was to the NBA in the mid eighties and nineties, which I, you know, I can't speak firsthand on that, but you talk about the legend of Jordan I feel like that's what Kobe is for the 2000s. You know, he's that guy that was so distinctly the elite player in the league that whether you love them or hate him or, you know, he was on your favorite team or on your, you know, most hated rival, you couldn't help but respect the guy's ability and his work ethic and what he was able to do on the floor. So it's one of those guys who really transcends being a fan. He was such a representative of the game that it's impossible to not respect him as a player and person <laughs> yeah uh, i i don't know uh, i don't haven't heard your views yet as to you know when you first kind of watched him on tv and and noticed that we were seeing something special and, and there's you know there's no doubt in saying that he is one of the greatest basketball players of our generation <clears throat> And, um, you know, for me, the first time that I remember seeing him was, you know, I wasn't a big NBA fan in the, in the 90s. You know, I was born late 80s, didn't really was a pro wrestling kid until the early 2000s. And then I started to watch the NBA around 99, 2000. And, and that was right around the time that the uh, Sixers and the Lakers played in the finals. And just seeing him and, and Allen Iverson go shot for shot and so many of those games just made you just stare at the TV fascinated at the kind of basketball skill that he had. And for years and years after, you know, that, and then once LeBron got into the league, I mean, the debate for like a lot of the past decade was who's the better player, Kobe or LeBron. And that debate isn't something that's going to just stop now either. Uh, it's a debate that will be had for quite some time. I mean, I'm sure you're the same with me here. I s used to throw pieces of paper into the garbage can yelling Kobe. Uh, I wouldn't make it much, but I mean, it's just crazy to think about how long it goes back into my lifetime. For you, when, when was the first time you kind of started watching him and noticing like, okay, wow, like this is a guy that only comes really once in a lot, once or twice in a lifetime skill wise. Yeah. For me, it was the 01 finals 
you know, Allen Iverson was my introduction to basketball. And, you know, with that being said, he was also my head and shoulders favorite player to watch. And, you know, it was it was that tribalistic thing where you root for the hometown team and de facto Kobe Bryant became the enemy. And in that sense, you know, as a young child, however old I was in 2001, I guess seven, eight years old, maybe. You know, I don't know no better than to just hate Kobe Bryant. And from that point forward, I never really, you know, I was always of that mindset of, well, he didn't do it without Shaq. And then, oh, he didn't do it without Pal. You know, and as you get older, you really just realize that's, you know, a bunch of BS and you're kind of hating for no reason. Um, The moment for me where Kobe's greatness really sunk in and obviously there's the 81 point game that everyone talks about yeah but the point that got me the most when i was like this is such a unbelievable moment was actually his last career game um when he dropped 60 points on his way out the door and i thought that was like i thought that said so much about him that he knew he was leaving he knew that was the last moment And he rose to the occasion in such a way where he puts up a 60-point performance and then walks out of the stadium with his head held high. And that that just felt like the legendary thing to me. It was kind of like the wink on the way out the door that, yeah, I still have it. You know, I can still – I'm still that guy. Yeah. You know, and then there was like that poignancy where it's like, okay, his greatness isn't going anywhere. He's just done with this chapter. Mm-hmm. And a lot's been made today of what the next chapter was going to be for Kobe. Um, already had won an Oscar for his art projects. You know, he's an entrepreneur with body armor and other ventures he was pursuing, taking an interest in the community, you know, acting as an ambassador for not only basketball, but for soccer around the world. I mean, the guy was he, the guy was reaching out in so many different avenues and had his fingers in so many different projects that. Like it was that's I think what a lot of people are talking about today is how much we're losing not only the fact that we lost the basketball player, but we lost what was going to be the next phase of Kobe's life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like you talk. It's it's kind of weird how the narrative goes, because you talk so much like Kobe steals the headlines in this and, and obviously his daughter as well, you know, watching yeah, of clips course. of him talking uh, to Jimmy Kimmel about how he would get approached at, at games being uh, told that, you know, Kobe, you need to have a boy, you know, you need to have a, a son to continue your legacy. And, and his daughter that, that also passed in the crash was, would look at these people and be like, no, I got this. And, and just seeing him interact with his children and one recently newborn too, it's just kind of heartbreaking. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, the other parent and, and child in, in the plane to, or the helicopter, you know, was a baseball coach. So, I mean, it's not just Kobe and his daughter either. It's, you know, a guy that has had a lot of impact on, on young athletes in, in baseball too. So, I mean, this is not just a tragedy that strikes the basketball world, but a lot of other worlds and, and, and families and, and people around the world. And it's just kind of crazy to, to sit here and, and talk about it because like last, last night when, when the Sixers and the Lakers played, when LeBron passed uh, Kobe for the third 
third most points in the, you know, third for scoring in the NBA. Uh, and Kobe like congratulated him on Twitter, and now he's he's no longer here, and that's just like really kind of surreal to to even say. Yeah, and like you talking about it being so surreal, you know, I had, you know, I mentioned earlier I was like just getting home from work when this all happened, and I just looked at my phone, and all of a sudden I had like five or six texts from different people, all just saying like very vaguely what was going on. And it was like, that was more sort of like, I was like, like if you were making a joke, like, or yeah, I thought people were being like over dramatic and using hyperbole, you know, like it didn't seem real that especially someone of, you know, the importance he has, like we already mentioned, not only with the game, but in other avenues, it just, it wasn't something I don't think anyone was ready to grasp. I don't know how anyone would have been. It was, you know, it, like I said, totally out of the blue. And it's like, I think there's a lot of people still kind of searching for, you know, waiting for the the joke to come out. That it's like, oh, April Fool's, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it just it really doesn't feel real. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> it would be... It, uh, when I first started seeing the reports and everything on Twitter, it, it reminded me of the late Roy Halladay as well, where yes. people are scrambling to try to figure out if he was in his plane, what caused it, and and just the search to, you know, the, that 30 to 35 minutes when you're just thinking to yourself, like, no, this can't happen. Like, they have to, they have to be wrong. And as as we then got to find out about Roy, you know, now Kobe, that that it was not, and it's just an absolute shame that uh, we will not be able to see what uh, Kobe does next. But there's no uh, number of words that can state the impact that he made on the game. Um, uh, Jesse, in our little rundown, you wrote up a nice kind of little tribute to Kobe. So I'm going to read that for everybody before we kind of move on to the to the rest of the show and uh, try try to get through this. Uh, so Kobe Bryant, at, at just 41 years of age, leaves a legacy as not only one of the game's best scorers and champions, but also as a husband, father, mentor, role model, motivator, artist, and businessman. The Mamba stood with the giants of the game and his performances will not soon be forgotten. As Michael Jordan did during the 80s and 90s, Kobe Bryant served as the undeniable face of the NBA during the 2000s. May Kobe and his daughter and the other passengers that passed away in the uh, horrible, horrible helicopter crash rest in peace. And we send our thoughts and condolences to their friends and family. And um, all right. Yeah, I think... I think we are going to wrap up our, our Kobe talk here and, and try to move on with uh, the rest of the show. So, uh, Jesse, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Yeah, this was our, you know, our pre-planned recording night for Garbage Into Gold. Of course, what happened with Kobe today takes precedent over that. So we didn't want to ignore that, but we do want to still try to keep Sixers fans up to date and stay true to what our podcast is. Um, you know, we're not going to... We're not going to spend as much time beating things to death like we normally do, given the weight of what happened today. But just keeping everyone up to date, you know, the Sixers had a great win. It was last night, Saturday night, against the Los Angeles Lakers. We mentioned LeBron coming to town, passed Kobe for third all-time on the NBA scoring list. Um, Sixers kind of, I mean, 
almost a comfortable win, really. You know, we haven't seen too many of that. I don't think anyone really expected the Sixers to win this game at all without Josh Richardson and without Joel Embiid. But, you know, the defense of Matisse Thibel and Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons leading the charge offensively, the Sixers found a formula to beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You know, again, how much does the home court factor in? But, you know, some quick stats. Ben Simmons gives you 28 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 4 steals. Tobias Harris gives you 29 and 8. You know, I mean, really a solid team effort. The guys that needed to step up for the team stepped up. You know, Brandon, what was your reaction to the game? Did you really think they had a chance going into it? And even as the game went on, were you waiting for the other shoe to drop? Or did it feel like they had the grasp of the game? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think going into the game, I expected them to lose. And a lot of people that follow me on Twitter will probably find that no surprise since I am the, uh, you know, friendly neighborhood pessimist. But um, yeah, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised and I feel like a lot of people were probably pleasantly surprised um, by how dominant it was now throughout the game I think that there were periods of times where the Sixers kind of let the Lakers back into things but they never really let them get ahead and it was their defense that really led things there and it's nights it's nights like that from Ben Simmons that you truly see how much of a superstar that he can be without a jump shot. Uh, we all hope eventually that he will develop one, but uh you know the big thing for me that I noticed is that Simmons could not have had that good a game without the play of guys like Thibel or um even even Shake Milton and I'm sure we'll get to him but just just their movement alone on offense and the fact that Thibel can hit a three, although he's been struggling and, and shake the last couple of games has, has looked confident after being on the bench for the vast majority of the season. So when you have quick guys that spread the floor, you now realize that how important spreading the floor is, then it allows Ben Simmons to get to work because the defense now has to account for the other guys that are on the floor around him rather than having, you know, Simmons, Horford, and Embiid on the floor at the same exact time where Ben may not necessarily have uh, enough room to work. But uh, he had such a great game, and he was really the the guy everybody talked about. But Tobias Harris, man, 29 points, 8 rebounds. He's been like everything I've wanted and more, and I feel like he's still extremely underappreciated for what he's done. So, um, you know, Ben Simmons, this is a game where you look at him and you're just like, okay, I don't know if he deserved to be an all-star based off defense, but these last uh, this last chunk of games, you know, going to the beginning of January, I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he should, you know, be an all-star, and we'll get to that. But just just an absolutely tremendous performance by the two guys that uh, you need to have performances like that. Yeah, and you mentioned Tobias Harris, you know, still being a little underappreciated. I really think it's he's the kind of guy that it's like quietly every night he's putting up a good line. Um, you know, Ben Simmons, he's obviously been on a tear even after the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. He seemed to have gotten hotter since that. Um, you mentioned Shake Milton, and that's something I thought was curious. I don't think anyone really expected Shake Milton to step into the starting lineup with Richardson out. 
you know, I think we kind of assumed that spot would be for Cork Maz, maybe even a James Ennis. I'm not sure anyone expected Shake Milton to jump to the front of the line like that, but he contributed seven points, nine rebounds, three assists. You know, we saw some good things from him earlier in the season before he had that uh, knee injury that thankfully wasn't as bad as it looked, you know, but now he's back. Now he seems to be settling in again. And, and I mean, what do you think the role can be for Shake Milton? He's a guy that's shown some catch and shoot ability, a guy that they've put in ball handling situations before in the past. You know, is is he have a chance to be a bit of a Swiss Army knife for this team off the bench if he can find some form of consistency here? Yeah, I think it's all going to depend on how he does while Richardson is is bench or, or healing, I should say. Uh, and he's going to get every opportunity too. And I definitely think that his performance against the Lakers will at least keep him in the starting lineup for another couple of games. But he, he said after the game what what the coaching staff told him and. You know, he's he's kind of a guy that just looks calm, cool, and collect. It's similar to like Ben Simmons, doesn't really show a whole lot of emotion, and he's confident in what he can do. Uh, he's very good, you know, off the pick. I forget exactly who it was that tweeted it, but I think that he was the fastest player on the court for the Sixers last night. You know, off the off the pick, I think he was running like 4.9 miles an hour. You saw that early layup that he had, uh, pretty much dodging LeBron and kind of doing like a an up and a, or down and a, around and up. So I mean, he looked really good. He can hit the three, and he's somebody that, um, you know, the Sixers can develop and and is to the point where he's going to get like playoff minutes probably not but um definitely a bright spot in terms of those late picks that haven't panned out for the Sixers it was good to see Shake kind of step up and and really show that uh, all that time off wasn't really he he didn't really have any rust he was just kind of picked up where he left off and and just played to his strengths well Shake what's interesting with Shake for me is you think back to the offseason, right, when Elton Brand was talking about the team's path and when he got rid of all of the surplus of picks, and his reasoning was that you don't put young, inexperienced guys in spots where you need to depend on them for a contender, right? He didn't want to load the roster with a bunch of rookies that were learning the game when the Sixers' goal was to win a championship, which is understandable, but then he turns around and he gave Shake Milton a four-year contract. Yeah. So that tells me that somewhere the coaches in the front office really see, you know, bright spots with Shake Milton and the fact they trusted him to start in this game against the Lakers, you know, coming so soon off an injury, I think again kind of reaffirms how the organization views him. So maybe he'll be, you know, a pleasant surprise and suddenly we get you know, that, like you said, that draft pick that comes out of nowhere to actually contribute that the Sixers have seemed to never have found. I mean, even dating before the process, they haven't really had much luck with those late late round picks. So maybe Shake Milton's finally that guy. You mentioned before about the defense. Now, the defense, you know, forced the Lakers to shooting only 19.4% from three-point range in the game. Um, they scored three points over the last four-plus minutes. And then you mentioned Matisse Thiable. He added five steals to go along with Ben's four. So the defense was the one thing that really helped seal this game for the team. But the other was a guy who's often the center of criticism from fans on Twitter. And even on this podcast, we haven't been shy about criticizing him. Al Horford steps up seven points straight down the stretch. 
puts the game out of the out of reach when the Lakers were within five. You know, Horford gets hot and extends that lead where the Sixers suddenly are cruising to a 17 point victory. So do you think, you know, the argument has been here with Ben Simmons and with the lack of with Joel Embiid not being on the floor, Ben Simmons has been thriving. Do you think Al Horford seeing some of that same impact that he's more comfortable having total reign of the paint? Yeah, I don't I don't really I I don't really <laughs> think so. I don't really think so. I guess for me, it's more of a Ben is thriving and and Al is is seeing some stretches of of more positive play just because there's there's not all three of them on the floor at the next time. And I'm all about, you know, this is a game that if anything, it proved that Horford should come off the bench. You know, you saw what the spacing can do when when guys are making shots and and Ben Simmons can go to work and Horford kind of stretches the floor too when he's hitting shots from beyond and you know when he gets that time to to really kind of wind up and and shoot his shot uh he's he's gonna make it you know he has a very awkward looking shot but I mean when he has the time he's very confident in it and um you know I think for me for Horford it's it's really only the contract it's a contract where for him at the age that he is four years, hundred plus million, you know, you just hope to get two good years out of him and, and have him be kind of serviceable for the last two. And, um, it was really nice to see him show up against such a big opponent. And, you know, you talked about defense too. It's kind of crazy how the defensive rotations were, were in this game to even start because Horford was on Anthony Davis and like Tobias Harris started the game on Dwight Howard. So it just kind of shows the versatility of how they can guard. But it was really good to see Horford have a moment scoring those seven points late to put the game out of reach because we haven't seen that from him recently. And, you know, it's moments like that that kind of reaffirm that, okay, you cannot trade him, but you need to find a way to make it work with Simmons, Horford, and Embiid. And if that's Horford going to the bench or, you know, them staggering... Uh, Horford and Embiid as much as they possibly can, then that's kind of what you have to do because this this team thrives off space and and that's the only way that that's going to happen, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so with this win over the Lakers, the Sixers find themselves with another big statement victory over a top contending team. You know, they've done it a few times now this year. They're 3-0 and against the Celtics. They dominated the Bucks on Christmas Day. You know, this team continues to have this trend of playing down to their opponent and then rising to the occasion when the elite ones come in. So, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. Do you think that bodes well for the playoffs or would you still like to see them kind of, you know, demolish the bad teams and then contend with the good teams? Yeah. I mean, I'd obviously like to see them be able to, to blow out all of the bad teams or even, you know, win against the bad teams. It's kind of crazy that they haven't won in Washington DC since like over the last 10 years, I think it is. It's pretty, pretty crazy how that happens. Now these games are obviously like typical Sixers. They will win this big game and make a statement win against the Lakers and then go against like a very injured undermanned uh, Warriors team with one of the worst records in the league and then find a way to lose or make it really close as we know them. But I think it, it all really comes down to, to home court advantage. I, I think that the Sixers need to find a way to get at least one series in their home court because if not and they end up playing a team like the Raptors or the 
Pacers, two of the playoff teams that they've shown to struggle against with and without Joel Embiid. Um, you know, it just hasn't boded well, and we know how uh, this team looks on the road. So I think it's all about home cooking, and if they find a way to get into the four or even the three seed, they'll be in a much better position than if they are in the six or the five position. Yeah, and I mean, I think home court's going to be the most important thing for this team, especially if they end up having to go up north to Toronto. We saw that environment last year. You know, obviously Boston's a great basketball town too. You know, that that to me is the thing I'm most worried about. I'd love to see a little push here and move up the standings before the end of the season. Moving on now to our next topic, and this will really kind of be the last topic of this episode. As we said, we don't want to take too much of the attention away from the events that happened earlier today. But the other piece of big news for the Sixers this week is that Joel Embiid was named an all-star starter. I think it's either the second or third year in a row. Third straight. I think it's the yeah. first uh, first Sixer since Allen Iverson to to make three in a row. Yeah, so now he's got three in a row. Um, I'm not sure when the reserves get announced. Do you know when the reserves are being announced, I, Brandon? I am not sure. Not sure. I imagine it'll be over the next week or so. Um, and then I think they're doing the draft again this year, as they have been doing. But with Embiid in the All-Star game, I mean, that was kind of a foregone conclusion. You know, I think he's he's reached that level now where he's one of those players that will just be in the game every year, you know, barring injury or a serious decline in his play. Now the Sixers have two other players who have pretty strong cases to go into the All-Star game. First, we'll start with Ben Simmons. Um, earlier in the year, you know, subject of a lot of criticism, not being aggressive as fans would like him to be really not putting up the same numbers he had earlier in his career or just being exactly on the numbers he had earlier in his career. And I think most of, you know, Sixers Twitter, and I think, Brandon, you alluded to it earlier in the episode, you know, before Embiid's most recent, indis- uh, before Embiid's most recent injury, you wouldn't have really lobbied for Ben Simmons to be an all-star. Yeah, certainly not. I think it was what a lot of people were thinking, too, um, that maybe not getting into the all-star game would be good for Ben and kind of show that, you know, he needs to do a little bit more in order to get there. But I think, uh, the, his play in January alone has, has pretty much made him a, a must for the all-star game. And I think, uh, you know, I looked at how the voting ended up and I'm pretty sure that he was ranked by, uh, his, fellow uh players you know all around the league he was ranked the fourth best guard in the eastern conference so i think that it's it's pretty much without a doubt that he's gonna end up getting there i think the what's it called the draft is going to take place on february 6th though i so i think this upcoming thursday is when we will learn the reserves but yeah i mean i'm all for simmons going now i think he's definitely proven how valuable he is and even though there isn't defense played in the in the uh in the all-star game uh, i think he certainly has played well enough this past month to to warrant a selection yeah the thing i really want to focus on with ben's case here is i'm with you where before this most recent string of games i wouldn't have really argued that ben simmons should or shouldn't be in the all-star game um i'm same thought process as you defense isn't really something that matters in an all-star game so with that you know Embiid has the finger injury Nine games have gone by without Embiid, and we've seen Ben flourish, and we've seen him get Eastern Conference Player of the Week. 
you know, really kind of proving to and anyone that doubted Ben Simmons is really eating their words right now. And the show just how good he's been over that stretch over those nine games. Ben is averaging 21.6 points per game, 9.3 rebounds, 7.9 assists, shooting 65.3% from the field, and that's 13.8 attempts per game. So he's 5.3 points up on a season average, 1.4 rebounds up on his average, and the field goal percentage has gone up 6.8% while taking two and a half more shots a game on average. I mean, you're seeing a totally different player right now, and I think there's no doubt that the guy that we've seen over these last two or three weeks, I mean, he deserves to be on the all-star team. Yeah, I mean, it's just all about the consistent aggression. You know, people, his flaws, his flaws, the flaws that he has in his game, the age of 23, are magnified because, at least prior to this stretch, he was very on-off on, with his aggression and his attacking the rim. And we certainly have seen a, a far different sort of attacking and, and aggression over the past stretch of games, given his fourth quarter numbers still aren't like amazing. But uh, I think if he just remains aggressive and does it consistently, people are not going to focus on his jump shot as much, but instead they're going to focus on how easy it is for a 6'10 guy to just get whatever he wants, can dunk on people and play elite defense. You know, he's now... Serious, should seriously be in the conversation for def defensive player of the year, and it would be an absolute shame if if he was not considered by the people around the league. I mean, he's honestly my front runner. Granted, I've you know I watch him more than really anyone else, but you know I can't imagine there's anyone else that's better than he is right now. I can see as good, but anyone else guarding one through five as effectively as Ben Simmons is right now, I think you'd be really hard pressed to find someone like that. Now. Moving on from Ben Simmons, there's another sixer that has a good shot in an all-star spot. Tobias Harris, currently averaging 19.5 points a game, 6.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists, and the rebound number has gone up since Embiid's been out. So he's being more aggressive on the glass. He's picked up some of that scoring burden. Now, Tobias Harris, when we traded for him last year, everybody thought he was the biggest snub from the all-star game not making the western conference team you know does he have a better chance to make it over here in the east or is it still another crowded field where he could end up being the odd man out yeah i mean it's it's certainly going to be a very crowded field right now i'm looking at the final voting uh for eastern conference front court and uh you know harris is just below Kevin Love, above guys like Gordon Hayward, Vince Carter. So Harris uh, received 19 pl total player votes, uh, was ranked ninth overall, got 262,000 votes, was ranked 15th by fans, didn't get any votes by the media. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure. I think he deserves it, but I don't think he's going to get there. I think that, you know, Jimmy Butler... Uh, Sabonis from Indiana, you know, even Kevin Love and and maybe even Jason Tatum. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they're they are guys that have gotten, you know, a lot of votes from from the fans. And um, yeah, it'll certainly be interested to see. I think he deserves it. And we said earlier in the episode that he is underappreciated, and he isn't really the player that he thought we were going to be. I he was going to be. I think we all thought that he was going to be kind of like a sniper from beyond the arc but uh you know he certainly showed more confidence in his three-point shot but 
his ability to kind of get his own shot in the mid range is is kind of become his specialty has been muscling up smaller smaller guys and then doing that turnaround fadeaway and it seems to go in far more often than it doesn't and uh really i think just like he's feeling more comfortable in his own shoes as a sixer i i I don't think he ends up being there, but I do think that he deserves it, and he just might not be that player that gets thought about when when it comes to to seeing those reserves. Yeah, and if Tobias and Ben do make the team, it would be the first time the Sixers have had three All-Stars in one All-Star game since Dr. J, Moses Malone, and Maurice Cheeks all made the team all made the team in the same season. Actually, I might be wrong. I think Barkley made it with Dr. J in Cheeks. Um, I could be wrong about that. But anyway, uh, one more All-Star Weekend question. Do you think Furkan Korkmaz has any chance to be entered into the three-point contest? You know, I had not thought about that, but I, you know, I think that he has the, the quick release for it. I, I don't think he gets consideration. But uh, it would it would be very very fun to see. You know, he's developed into pretty pretty reliable three point shooter, and it's pretty crazy how how good he ends up being after the journey that he's gone through to get to this point. Yeah, and he's about you know one hot week away from surpassing the forty percent clip for the season. I think he's right around thirty nine and a half percent on the year right now. Um, and you you mentioned that he has the quick release. He's kind of built for that. And there's also been a bit of a tendency in the recent years of the three-point contest to kind of have, you know, guys that aren't necessarily stars participating. You saw Joe Harris win it last year, the year before. You know, you get Seth Curry. You, you get a lot of these guys that aren't the blockbuster names are kind of going for the unknowns a little bit. So maybe – you know, the same way with the dunk contest. A lot of the stars don't want to do the dunk contest because of the wear and tear on the body. And for the younger guys, it's a great chance to ex- to exhibit their talents. Yeah. So I think Furcon might be able to get a call. I'm not really expecting him to. I hope Thibault makes rising stars. He definitely deserves to be there. Oh, yeah. I would be shocked if he's not on that team. Um, I mean, I can't. I don't know too many rookies that are better. Honestly, I think he's kind of making a strong case for all rookie first team yeah. at this point, just on his defense alone. So with that, that does wrap up this episode of garbage into gold. We'll be back with another episode next week, diving into the trade deadline, which is February 6th. Um, you know, there's a lot of names floating around right now, but none too strongly linked, just a lot of feelers being put out. It seems like, so hopefully in the next week, We get some more concrete details as Elton Brand tries to push the Sixers over the hump going down the stretch of the season. Um, Brandon, do you want to do our social and everything like that real quick? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we we do appreciate everybody for listening. Again, kind of a tough episode to get through with the passing of Kobe Bryant. We do appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. Uh, You can find our show on all of the major podcast platforms in addition to iHeartRadio. It's on there as well. Uh, find us on Twitter at Garbage Into Gold. Uh, every couple of weeks, probably bi-weekly, I would say, we're going to do live episodes of the pod. So we'll we'll go on Periscope and, and post a, a link on Twitter to, to do a, a kind of an interactive live stream of the pod where uh, listeners can, can ask questions and leave comments and we can discuss it on the show. Uh, and we are a part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. 
So make sure that you visit them online, uh, phlsportsnation.com, and uh, follow the Sixers branch of their site at PHL Sixers Nation. So, yeah, I think that's a, that about wraps it up. Uh, we'll catch everybody next week and have a uh, great uh, morning, afternoon, or night whenever you're listening to this.